Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 20. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and for your sovereignty and that we are called to be your people. I pray that as we close the book of Habakkuk that we would have a strong sense of that, that you are for us beyond anything else. Be with Stephen as he comes to bring the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you hear me now? Do I have to stand up here? Is the cord? Okay. Um, hold on. Can everyone hear me? No? Okay. I use the microphone then. Um, so this morning we're wrapping up Habakkuk, the book that we've been going through for the past uh, few weeks. I uh, hope everyone's had a good week. I'm Stephen. I'm one of the servant team leaders here at Aletheia, uh, and I have the privilege of bringing the message forward to you this morning. Um, you still can't hear me? How's this? Better? Okay. So, <clears throat> this morning we're going to be looking at the topic of joy. Uh, I know it's going to be a little hard for us to, to think about today because it's really hot. Our AC is still out. And so we've got these fans that are hopefully going to be cooling us off. And uh, the microphone's not working, so we're having some technical, f technical difficulties. But we can still find joy. We can still have joy. Um, and, and this idea of joy is joy is a delight uh, in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. It's something that goes beyond our circumstances, something that's not connected to our circumstances at all. Um, this could be, this could be a moment of pure joy. It could be like you're at uh, the wedding of a close friend or it's the birth of a child or, or even, um, you're watching your favorite movie or you're watching a football game and it's going really well. These things are some things that we enjoy. And, uh, I think there's a lot of confusion with the idea of joy, particularly because uh, the feeling of joy seems to be so close to happiness. Happiness, though, uh, comes directly from our circumstances. It comes directly from uh, what's going on around us and what's happening in our lives. So an example of, of happiness could be that uh, you got the promotion at work that you've been working for. You've been working hard for this promotion, and you finally got it. Or You've been working hard uh, at school and you got the grade that you feel like you deserved. Or um, you, uh, 
you have been working on a project and, and everything finally comes together and everything finally works and it's coming together and it's working. That is happiness. It's directly connected to our circumstances. A joy, on the other hand, is not connected to our circumstances at all. There are things that we enjoy. That's that, that root word joy is in that word enjoy. And these things that we enjoy that can help us to transcend our circumstances, to bring us out of our circumstances, and to feel something greater, some, some feel, this feeling of happiness that, that has nothing to do with what's going on around us. So the whole world could be crumbling around you, but when you're in a moment where you're enjoying something, everything else goes away and you're not thinking about it at all. Um, uh, I, I think about the confusion uh, between the two words, uh, happiness and joy, and uh, I think a good example of this um, is uh, when the Gators played Tennessee last year. Does anybody remember that game? I was really enjoying that game until halftime. And then we started losing. So what happened? I was transcending the circus. I had a big paper due at that point, and I was really worried about it. But uh, I was watching the Gators play, and they were doing really well, and so that helped me to transcend what was going on in my life, the, the paper that I had due. And it helped me to get past that and to focus on something else. And then, and then uh, at halftime, we started losing. And I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Circumstances can change joy that comes from uh, something in the world. The project that you've been working on, the, the promotion that you got can make you joyful. Can. If, if everything else is going down and you get that promotion, it can make you happy, but then what happens when uh, something changes and that happiness goes away? What happens when you're enjoying a movie and the power goes out? What happens when you're enjoying uh, spending time with friends and uh, something makes you angry, something makes you frustrated, and, and all of a sudden you're not enjoying it anymore? Certain circumstances can change the way that we enjoy certain things. And the Bible has a lot to say about the idea of joy. Um, and, and it's from a completely different perspective than the world has it. Because the wor in, in the world, like I, like I was saying earlier, uh, the joy that we experience is from a movie or from a sport or from, from something else. But what the Bible says is that the root of joy is in God's character. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see... This, this consistent idea that joy comes from God and that joy comes from the salvation of God. Joy is grounded in the very character of God himself. Uh, and the fullness of joy comes when there is a deep sense of the presence of God in one's life. In a moment, we're going to look at what uh, Habakkuk, the end of Habakkuk, has to say about joy. But uh, let's just first review about where we are, because not everyone has been here the whole summer, I know. I've come and gone several weeks, and so you may have missed it. So in the book of Habakkuk, where it's this minor prophet, this really little book, it's only three chapters big, and uh, what's going on is Habakkuk looks around, 
and he sees all of this injustice going on around him. He sees all of this um, bad stuff happening. He sees all of, the, all of this sinful behavior that the nation of Israel is doing. And he cries out to God, and he says, God, I thought we were supposed to be your chosen nation. I thought we were supposed to be your, your holy people. Why aren't you doing anything about this? Why aren't you punishing this injustice that's going on? Why aren't you changing the situation? What are you doing? And God responds to him, and God says, don't worry, I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing. I see the injustice that's going on. I see the sin that's going on there, and I'm gonna punish that by raising up this nation in the east called Babylon. And they're gonna come, and they're gonna conquer Israel, or Judah, and, uh, and they're going to um, execute my justice over the land. And so Habakkuk is really upset about this because the nation of Babylon was a very, very unholy nation. And he comes back to God in a, in, in a way that's very unwise and says, God, I don't like your answer. I don't like what you're going to do because this nation of Babylon, they're way worse than we are. So how can you use a nation that is more ungodly to punish, uh, to punish Israel? How can you use this nation where justice is even worse to punish us. And God comes back to him in chapter 2 and says, Habakkuk, it's okay because justice will not escape from Babylon. They're going to be judged too one day in my time. And so after that, we have this prayer that Habakkuk says. And, and and he's expounding on the righteousness of God and the goodness of God and the justice of God because he's come through this situation. He's come through uh, this, this time where God has told him everything that's going to happen, and he has a greater faith and he has a greater understanding of the character of God and who God is. And so he prays, and he has this beautiful prayer that uh, Brent preached on last week. And so I get to do the last three verses. So go ahead and if you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. And we're going to walk through it here. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. So this verse is describing the situation that's going to be when, after Babylon comes. This is, this is the aftermath of the Babylonian conquest of Judah. There's no food. We are, this, is, this is complete and utter devastation. This isn't just famine, because if you, rem, if you, if you remember, um, Judah is this agrarian society, it's, they're farmers. Their whole economy is built in, in the produce of agriculture. So in verse 17, he's describing complete devastation. They have taken everything. There's no food. There's no figs, which were a major staple of food. There's no grapes, uh, which um, was, was not only a food product, but it was also a cash product. It was also an export. Um, there was no olives, again, 
not, not really a food product there, but, but a major export product. Um, there's no, there's no uh, vegetables in the field. There's no sheep. Everything's been taken away or killed. And we're complete and utter devastation. And then in verse 18, he says, yet, even still, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So in this verse, he's saying, even though everything is bad, even though everything is crumbling around us, even though everything is destroyed, I'm still going to rejoice in God. I'm still going to rejoice in the God of my salvation, the God who saves me. In verse 19, he goes and says why he's going to rejoice in God. He says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. So what is this saying? The character of God, the character of God, the strength of God is what is going to cause his joy. And not only that, but what God has done for him, he's made his feet like the deer's. Now that's kind of confusing. And what he means here is he's shored up his footing. He's given him steady footing to walk in the high places, in the mountains, in the rocky terrain. So he knows that God is watching over his steps. He knows that God has provided, will provide for him, that God will watch after him. And then he says to the choir master with stringed instruments. Now I want to notice this here, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This whole thing, and this particularly these last three verses, but the whole chapter three is a psalm that Habakkuk wrote to be sung by the choir in the temple. It's as if he's telling them, I want you to, write, I want you to remember this. What, what's the easiest way for us to remember something? Okay, how many of us remember um, the exact words in a book that we read last week? I don't. How many of us can remember a song that we heard last week and the lyrics of a song? Why? Because it's set to music, it's set to lyrics, it, it's pleasing to the ear. And also, you can sing it over and over again, and you can sing it together. So it's not only this idea where uh, we want you to remember to trust in God, we want you to remember to have joy in God, but also, this is a corporate prayer. A lot, of modern, a lot of modern worship music are corporate prayers or corporate praises. It's where we sing together a prayer to God. We all come together with one voice and we sing a praise to God. And that's what's going on here. That's what Habakkuk is doing. And so I want to notice particularly two things about this passage. The first, let's go ahead and start in uh, 19, verse 19. The character of God. God is my strength. So we find joy in God because of who he is. 
If you can turn to uh, Psalm 18, verse 2. This is a psalm of David. Okay. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So while this may at first glance appear the things that God has done, this is actually who God is. This is the character of God. This is one thing that we can really see very clearly in reading the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament authors very clearly wrote about who God was, not only what he did for us, but who he was. He is our shield. He protects us. He's the horn of our salvation. He, he's the one who's calling in the reinforcements. And he's our stronghold. He doesn't give us a stronghold. He doesn't give us a shield. He is the shield. He is the stronghold. He is the strength in our time of weakness. So he's taking refuge in the strength of God. He's finding his joy in the character of God. We turn to Isaiah. Uh, no, not there first. Look at verse 18, just before it. Um, in, uh, sorry, Habakkuk verse 18. 318? There you go. Um, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So very clearly here, Habakkuk is saying that he is taking joy in God. Not in the salvation of God, but in God himself. Now, in the Old Testament in particular and in the New Testament, the idea of joy is very, very closely connected with the idea of salvation. And in most of the Old Testament and most of the New Testament that talks about joy, it's talking about joy coming from the salvation of God. But the prophet Habakkuk here is not saying that. He's saying he's taking joy in God himself. He's taking joy in, in God himself because of his salvation, because of what he's done for us. Now turn to Isaiah 61.10. 61.10 says, I will rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me in garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now this is saying the same thing. He is taking his joy, he's rejoicing in the Lord because of who he is. Because he is the one who has given us righteousness. He is the one who has given us salvation. So we take our joy from him. We look to him to transcend us out of our circumstances, to bring us out of, out of what's going on around us, and to give us joy, and to give us hope, and to give us salvation. Now something that's really cool about Isaiah 61 is that this is a prophecy about Jesus. Turn to Luke, seven, uh, Luke 4, 17. Jesus quotes this passage. Early on, he quotes verse 1. 
in 4.17, he says, and the scroll, now this is a sermon that Jesus preached. Um, it's probably the shortest sermon ever recorded because it's only one sentence long. Uh, I wish I could get away with that, but I can't. Um, now in verse 17, he's preaching in the synagogue, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So this passage in Isaiah 61, the whole th Jesus is referring to the whole thing. He only read the first two verses. But he's, he, he's referring to the whole prophecy, and he's saying, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning, I am doing this right now. This is my mission. This is why I came. I came to set the captives free. I came to restore sight to the blind. I came to proclaim good news to the poor. This is who he is. This is his mission. Turn to Romans uh, 5, 8 through 10. Not only did, did Jesus come to do this, not only did he come to clothe us in righteousness, to clothe us in salvation, and to bring us, make us reconciled to God, he did it while we were still enemies against him. He did it while we were still sinners, while we were still rebels. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, uh, by him from the wrath of God. For while we were still his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is who he is. He came for the rebels. He came for the sinners. He came for us. And we should find joy in his character because of that. This is the God in the Old Testament. This is the God of Moses, who was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian and ran away before God redeemed him and used him. This is the God of Rahab, who was a prostitute, and he redeemed her. And she's in the lineage of Christ. She, uh, Christ is, is a descendant of hers. That's redemption. This is the God of, uh, of widows, of orphans, of people who were destitute and people who were afflicted with all sorts of things. This is the God of the lepers. He came and reconciled us to him through the death of his son. And he gave us a new identity. Colossians 3.10, 9, 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image 
of the Creator. God reconciled us and gave us a new identity in Him. We should find joy in that. We should find joy in the fact that we are completely different than we were before He came. Before Him. The, the, uh, so we're putting off the old self and we're putting on the new self. Has anybody ever heard uh, this saying that said, I I'm a sinner saved by grace? Have you ever heard that? That's a good saying, but it's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is not that we're sinners saved by grace, but we are saints saved by grace. We are saints saved by grace. We were sinners, but no longer. We put off the old self, but we put on the new self. Okay? We are saints. And a lot of confusion has been uh, had because the, the word saint uh, was used um, in the old church to mean like these super Christians. These people who were so holy and so righteous that uh, we can't even compare to them. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible says about us. Because the Bible says that we are all saints. We can see that through the letters of Paul. If you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7, he's addressing the book of Romans, and he addresses it in verse 7. He says, to all, the saint, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and who are called to be saints. He also says it in, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he says the same thing, to those who are called to be saints. Now, if you're a little bit iffy about that, because it's, it says they're called to be saints, so this has maybe, ha maybe seems to have a future implication, then look at Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. Paul addresses this letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So this very plainly the most explicit example in Scripture of who the church is, of who we are in Christ, is the address of the letter of Philippians. Because he's not talking about the deacons. He's not talking about the pastors. He's not talking about the super-Christians. He calls every believer of Christ a saint. And we need to have that frame of mind when we come before him because he has made us new creations. And I think that a lot of times when we have the mentality of I'm, I'm just a sinner, then, then we, we rob ourselves of joy because while we still sin, we are saints. We are sinners no longer. Our status has changed. Ephesians uh, chapter 4 I don't have the reference, it just popped into my head. Ephesians chapter 4 says, um, you were once darkness. You were once creatures of darkness, but now you are light. Your whole status has changed. Your whole person has changed. Find joy in that. Find joy in that, in that who you are is completely different from who you were. Now, in Habakkuk, 
we should understand that our joy is in Christ. Our joy is in God. And it does not come from the circumstances around us. As we, as we worship him, we sh- the, 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 the perspective of our minds should give us joy. Should give us joy that transcends our circumstances, that brings us out of whatever is happening around us. Just like in Habakkuk's day, when he's talking about not even having food to eat. In every circumstance, we can find joy in God. In every circumstance, we can find joy in him that brings us out of our circumstances. Now, as we move into a time where we're going to take communion, I want you to reflect on that. Reflect on who you are in Christ. Reflect on on who he has made you and what he's done for you. Reflect on the character of God and how your joy can come from who he is. And also reflect on the gospel of God and how our joy can come from what he has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your joy. Thank you so much for your peace and the presence that you've given to us. God, I pray that you would would restore the joy of our salvation. That you would bring us to a place where we can find our hope in you. And we can find our joy in you. I thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. Father, we love you and we thank you for all of the blessings that you've given us. And we thank you for, for all of the times in our life when we can turn to you. Amen.